Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome back to Health by Heather Hirsch. Today I have with me my really good friend, we just became friends, my really good friend, Rose Lounsbury, who um, I met when we did a wellness conference together, and I have been able to start reading some of her book, which is called Less Minimalism for Real. And it's such a great topic, I think, that thinking about minimalism and how it plays such a role into our lives, be it mental clarity, health, physical clarity, physical health. Just so excited to have you because I have just tons of questions for you, and I'm sure you're just going to have tons of great information for our listeners. So welcome, and thanks for being here. Well, thank you so much. I am so happy to be here and share all of this information with you. Tell me a little bit about your background, um, and then that would be a nice segue into how did you get interested in doing what you do? Absolutely. So my journey to minimalism was very much a personal journey. I am a mom of triplets, and I'm a former teacher. So at the time that I started my minimalism journey, I was teaching full-time, and I had three two-year-olds at home. So if you have ever had children, most people can imagine that my life was pretty stressful. I didn't have a lot of free time, and what I found was that I spent all of my day at work and all of my evening with my kids, and by the end of the night, when I just wanted that one precious hour to relax, to have a little free time, All I did during that hour was pick up my stuff. I was trying to control the chaos in my home, picking up toys and shoes and sippy cups and moving piles of paper around. And it was just very stressful. And I felt like I never had any time to myself, any time to relax. And I'm a naturally introverted person. And people like me, we need to have a little downtime. Because if we don't, then we're really no good to anybody else. And so I was lacking this freedom of time in my life. Any little bit of free time was spent serving my stuff. And so it was right around Christmas when my kids were two years old. We went up to visit our relatives up in Michigan and we came home and, you know, my kids were two. They're adorable. The out-of-state relatives just wanted to spoil them crazy with stuff. And so when we got back to Dayton where I live, our van is just packed full of presents. And as I walked in the house, and our house is relatively small by American standards. It's just over 1,500 square feet. So I walked into our house and I looked around and I thought, oh my gosh, we do not even have space for the stuff we already own. Where am I going to put this new stuff? And it was this very overwhelming feeling, this very defeated feeling. I didn't know what to do. I honestly thought, well, I probably just need to buy a bigger house. Move. Yeah. That's what a lot of people think, right? Right. It's time to move. Right. Get a bigger house with more storage, more basement space and fill it up. You can even put it over the garage. Like you yes. could get the, the storage space over the garage, yes. you, could, you know, just any of the places to put it all. Right. All sorts of little nooks and crannies. And so I thought that this was what we were going to do. But then about a week after we got back from Christmas, I had lunch with a good friend of mine and she said, said, you know, I was complaining to her about all these things. And she said, you know, you could just become a minimalist. And I was like, you know, I was thinking monks living in a cave somewhere. (laughs) I'm like, I don't really think that's a way people actually live. And she sort of introduced me to this idea. And I started reading about it, reading books and blogs. And I'm like, you know what? 
I think there's something to this. And so I started following the advice that I found online and just going through my house and letting go of my stuff. And so I would do it, you know, in the evenings when my kids were asleep. I would do it on the weekends when they were napping. And over the period of about eight months, I slowly shed probably 60 to 70% of the possessions out of our home. That is, that's fantastic. And that's so self-motivating because right now you work as a coach, right? Yeah. And so you help and coach people through how to do this because it's not as simple as, I feel like it's not as simple as as it sounds. Yeah. So I'm so impressed that you are able to do this like on your own and really go against standards, which is like more and more and more. And how yeah. did you like wrap your mind in those like, you know, years ago, how did you wrap your mind around doing it like yourself? Like how did how did you do it? Well, it's interesting because I didn't really have an end goal in mind. I didn't say I'm going to do this for eight months and it will be done. I just knew the feeling that I was working toward because I knew where I was right then. I felt anxious, stressed. I couldn't relax in my home and I knew that that wasn't right and that wasn't how I wanted to feel. So I kind of started doing this. Every time I would declutter a space, I felt a little more freedom, a little more peace of mind, a little less anxiety. And I kind of just kept going until I felt like, you know what? I'm okay with how everything pretty much is in this house right now. So the motivation was more of an internal thing and it was a feeling that I was working toward. And once I got there, I kind of knew I was there. Now that's not to say that I'm always calm in my home and my home is always, I mean, <laughs> we were even talking yeah. at the beginning, yeah. you know, my home is not perfect. But now I know how to get it back to that feeling. I know when I walk in and things don't feel right, I, I think, okay, you've got to get this back to that feeling of calm. And now in almost any space, I can do that in about five to 10 minutes. Whereas before, you know, I would spend sometimes a few hours mm -hmm. getting a space the way that I needed it to be so that I felt calm inside. So now it's more of a maintenance thing, whereas those first eight months were really kind of an intense purging. And yeah, the motivation was just, I want to feel better in my house. So I, that, that feeling of anxiety really resonates with me. When my parents come up, sorry, mom, if you're listening, you know, they, they love to bring and spoil the kids and there's so much stuff. And, you know, she puts all the bags on my island and I start like immediately thinking like, where is this stuff going to go? How long can I leave it there before I can put it away? Um, and what do I need to get rid of in order to put it in its spot? And, you know, it's, it's, it's an anxiety provoking feeling. And, um, I, I wonder how often that happens to people, but they don't, they don't realize that that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know if you've, I don't know. You probably have had lots of people tell you that stuff brings them anxiety and then it may cause some people to do various different things. Um, yeah. and you know, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think that stuff, and anxiety are very closely linked. And so that example that you said about your mom bringing things because she wants to spoil the kids, that's a very typical, normal thing. The grandparents want to spoil the grandchildren, so they bring the things. And so a lot of the things that I have learned are not so much 
tricks to physically, oh, where do I put the stuff? But it's more of a mental change in how you think about that stuff that came in. So your mom's intention with those things is not to cause you anxiety or cause you stress or make your closets overflow. Her intention is to say, oh my gosh, I love these children. And those gifts, I often think of as like a vehicle for her love and affection. It's a symbol of her feelings toward your children. Those feelings are good and loving and happy and all those things. Therefore, the most important thing about the the physical thing are the feelings associated with it. So I always say you can keep the love, but not the stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You keep the love and you let the stuff go because the stuff, the whole point of the stuff was to bring the love to you. The love has been brought. Thank you very much. We let the love go. Now, on a practical side note, I will tell you my number one trick and tip for parents. So if there are any parents of young children listening, I would tell you this is my favorite tip. You need what I call a purgatory box. And what that is, is it's a box that you put somewhere high where the children can't see. The top of the fridge is really great or the high cupboard. And in that box, you put all the little trinkety stuff that seems to come home. So Happy Meal toys. I went to the dentist and I got a bouncy ball because I was good. My teacher gave me this little plastic frog that hops when you press on it, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It comes home and those little things are what will really get you. Those Mm -hmm. things will drive you crazy. Yeah. And so at my house, what I do is the stuff comes home. I see it sitting around. I just scoop it up and I put it in the box. Ah. When the box is full, the box goes bye-bye. Ah, yeah. and then you restart. Yes. How often do they actually ask for the stuff in the box? So I have a 98-2 rule, meaning I am never asked for 98% of the stuff. 98% of the time, I'm never asked for anything. But of the 2% of the times that I'm asked for the stuff... I can reproduce it 98% of the time. You're so good. Oh, you're like a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> and just, and just, just, I love it. Yeah. Well, it's that I just kind of came up with that out, out of necessity. Cause one of the things that I always tell people is, you know, you need to let your children make decisions on their stuff. And I do believe that that is true. I don't think it's wise, especially once they're of school age. Yeah. To go, go around when they're at school and just and, rip them devoid of the mother toys. Yeah. Because I think when a child is about five or six years old, they're aware enough that that has happened and it can actually um, erode some trust in your relationship, which I don't think you want. Right. If they're under the age of five, you know, two and three year olds, they don't know. But once they're a little older, you do need to ask them. But what I found was asking them constantly about every bouncy ball and every little trinkety toy became really exhausting and there was like a decision fatigue that happened. Yeah. So I found that the purgatory box for the small stuff that doesn't really matter was a really good solution. And yeah, probably once a month I might get asked about something and I get up there and I get it out and my kids are 10 years old now. So they're not little. Yeah. They know, I really think they have to know what the box is for. I mean, they could get on a step stool and look in there, but they don't. And they see me. They see me put stuff in there. Yeah. And they don't even ask Ask about about it. it. It's brilliant. Yeah. So that would be a solution for some of the like little stuff that may trickle in. Yeah. But I think for the bigger things that may come in from grandparents or birthdays or, or things, you think about the purpose of them. Mm-hmm. was to bring you love and you've got the love. So the thing is not as important as the sentiment behind the thing. And I think that mindset switch can help you um, get rid of a lot of the guilt that people sometimes feel with letting go of a gift that was given to their child or a gift that was given to them, mm-hmm. realizing, you know, this gift, the most important part was the love that came with it. And if I told them, thank you, 
which I'm sure you did or your children did, if you told them thank you, you have fulfilled your obligation to the gift and the giver. And at that point, it's yours. You can do with it what you want. Yeah. Um, Now, let me go back to when you were first kind of going through your house. Um, How did the rest of your family members, your children were probably young at the time, but your husband or um, things that were gifted to you from your parents, how did they all react to your, you know, epiphany at lunch with your friend as you were going through the house? Yeah, I think my husband probably hoped it was just a phase, phase. you know, because I'm, I'm the kind of person who I hear about an idea and I get really excited right. about it. And I want to do it all at once. Um, so one thing that I did, and at the time I didn't realize what I was doing, but it was very smart. And this is now what I tell my clients and my students to do. Only worry about your own stuff. Start with your own stuff. Because I think a lot of times when we see chaos or clutter in our homes, if we live with other people, if we have partners, children, in-laws, other people live with us, our tendency is to blame them for the mess. Yeah. Right? I really honestly thought when I started this process, I thought this problem is Josh and the kids. I really thought that's what it was. But as I started going through, focusing mainly on my stuff, I think I had the sense that It didn't really make sense to start by going through their stuff. I had to go through my stuff. As I started going through my stuff, there was this aha that was kind of like a horrible aha when I realized the problem was me, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. this really was me. I don't want to accept this, but... I know, right? right. I didn't didn't want to think about... I wanted to think, well, it's them, it's the kids, it's their toys. But when you think about the kids and their toys... Who was responsible? Right. Right. I either bought them for them or someone gave them to my kids and I welcomed the things in. When it comes to my children, really, the things that that were brought in for them were completely my responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I tell people, start with the areas that are under your jurisdiction. So whatever you can make decisions on, start there. So for some people, that's things in the kitchen. But if your partner is the main cook or you share cooking duties, you can't start there because, or you have to start by giving them a say. So start with your clothing, perhaps, or maybe your Your books, your books, right? Papers, papers, things in your bathroom, like beauty supplies. Beauty supplies are a really good place to start because they're only going to be under your jurisdiction. Probably your husband or kids, that's not under their territory. And then the magical thing that happens, and this is very cool. When you start with your stuff and you don't try to nag or persuade anyone else to get on board with you, they start to see what you're doing and they get curious and they just naturally get on board. People don't believe me when I say that, but it's absolutely true. So since you talk a lot about health, I often give the example of what if you decided you wanted to become a vegan, for example, and your way of becoming a vegan was you were going to convince everyone else that you lived with that they should be a vegan and you were going to harass them when they were eating meat or cheese and you were going to leave pamphlets all over the place about how they shouldn't be drinking milk and all of these things and you're trying to push, push, push them to adopt this lifestyle. Do you think that's going to make them want to be a vegan? Yeah, no. No, right? It's going to actually make them cling to the bacon more, right? (laughs) They're going to be like, no, you will not rip this out of my hands. I'm having this bacon. And so the same thing is true with stuff, right? So let's say, again, you want to become a vegan, but your way of becoming a vegan is you just become a vegan and you start eating healthier and maybe your skin looks better. Maybe you lose weight. Maybe you have more energy. And then your family might be like, huh, there's curious. something to it. Right. She seems happier. She looks good. And so they're more likely to get on board with you if you approach it that way. So the same thing is true 
when it comes to decluttering or minimizing your stuff. You have to model the behavior and then you would be surprised, but they will slowly get on board with it. Because if you try to go in by trying to nag them and convince them, it's also very hypocritical. Even young children can tell if you're telling them to clean up their room and let go of their stuff and your room is a disaster, right? Or you have things everywhere. They are smart enough to know that it's hypocrisy, right? So you need to model that before you approach them. If you do it in that way, every single time I have seen family members get on board. And so that would be my best advice for people who are living with other people and trying to figure out how you do this with a family is you honestly, you don't worry about the family. You just worry about yourself. That's great advice. And I think that definitely rings true in terms of, you know, some of the things you, you I talk about in terms of health and, 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 and chronic diseases, exactly. Which kind of brings me to, or is, is making me think of, um, you've been doing this now, so that was, what, eight, seven, eight years ago? Yeah. Right? They're 10. Yeah. So over the, you've had a lot of experience doing this. Um, and, you know, I, of course, I wanted to touch on um, and bring in women's health. Um, I have a couple of questions. Yeah. And, um in terms of, not that I just want to point out women's health, but, um, you know, what percent of your clients tend to be women? What percent of your clients tend to be men or who reaches out to you initially? And, you know, of all those transformations, can you speak to or touch on how it's helped their, you know, mental health is probably the one that we might think of, but maybe also their physical health? Yeah, those are great questions. I know, those are like 10 questions. Those in are like one. 10 questions, Sorry. but that's all right. No, I love, I love a good question. Um, so in terms of the percentage of people who reach out to me as women or men, I would say 98% of the people who reach out to me are women. Okay. And I think that's probably because typically the home has been the domain of the woman. We have been responsible for the upkeep of the home. As a society, we judge women based on the state of their homes in a way that we don't judge men. Yeah. So I think I women, agree. women, to fairly or unfairly, we are evaluated based on how our home looks, whereas men are not. There's also research out there that shows that women in a cluttered environment tend to have higher cortisol levels than men do. Mm -hmm. So there is some science and some research that shows that in cluttered environments, we don't function as well as women. But the men can? Generally. Isn't that, that's, yeah. that's what you see, right? Right, that is Just what you socially. see. socially. Yeah. And even despite women having careers or double careers or, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I'm sure you've also probably had numerous same sex partners as mm -hmm. well. And so, but, so we're making some generalizations, but, you know, I, 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 I don't think that this is, I'm not surprised to sort of hear these results or what the data does show. Yeah. And these are obviously are generalizations. I have worked with couples where the exact opposite is true, where the man is much more excited about the fact that I'm there. Or I've had women who hire me to work with them, but they say, this is for my husband because my husband is so bothered by the state of the house that I want to to have you help me clean it up for him because he is so bothered. So, yeah. so I have seen both sides of this, but most of the people who reach out to me are women. And so then you're also asking about in terms of mental health, how this process can affect them. And I will say, so these are just my own 
not scientific statistics. Anecdotal data. Anecdotal data. I would say of the clients who I've worked with one-on-one or the students who've taken my online courses, about 80%, maybe 70 to 80% of them either know they have ADHD or I would say they probably do have ADHD based on the things that they tell me or show me. So a lot of people who struggle with organization in their home are struggling with attention deficit disorder, which makes keeping things in order or making decisions much more difficult. Prioritizing is much more difficult for people with ADHD. And so that causes an extra stress to them. And I know that firsthand, my daughter has ADHD. And I can remember when she was little, when I used to overbuy. So I used to buy clothes at the end of the season. And then I would forget that I'd bought at the end of the season. So I'd buy buy again. again. And I think it was like size medium girls. I had like enough size medium girls to outfit like a whole Girl Girl Scout Scout troop. Right? And so, but I was like, you know what? Whatever, I'm just putting it all in her drawer so she can wear it because I don't know what else to do with all the stuff. So I loaded up the drawer for the spring summer with like tons and tons of stuff. And I remember the morning she opened up the drawer, she saw all the stuff, and she just said, Mama, I can't choose. And she almost was like crying. She was so distraught because there were too many choices. There were too many options. And it paralyzed her from making that simple decision of what do I wear today? So when you think of someone who struggles with ADHD, and that's how difficult it is for them just to get dressed, extrapolate that to they have papers everywhere. Their pantry has tons and tons of boxes of opened and unopened food. Their cupboards have so many different dishes. Their garage has so many different tools. And so they are faced with this overwhelming set of choices every single day at every single turn just to do the simple basic things that they need to do, like get ready, cook meals, pay bills. And so what minimalism does is it reduces the choices, which takes a huge weight. Burden off your mental load. It does it for people who don't have ADHD, but for people who do, it is a life-changing thing. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I've seen it, I've seen it in my own house with my own child that when she, I mean, if I opened her drawers, most people would probably be shocked. There's like five shirts in there. It sounds delightful. It actually is. I I would love that. (laughs) You're right. We're paralyzed by options, mm-hmm. overwhelming amounts of options. And psychology research definitely shows the more options we have, the worst we do at making a decision mm-hmm. and probably the more anxious and stressed we feel about because making that decision. there are more wrong decisions to be made, right? Like if I'm right. going to choose toothpaste and there's 15 kinds of toothpaste, but I can only pick one, that means 14 of them are wrong. And oh my gosh, this is really stressful. Yeah. But if I have three choices of toothpaste or two choices of toothpaste, it's much easier for me to make the decision on which toothpaste to get. Yeah. So that overwhelming amount of choices. So that I think is the biggest mental health benefit is it gives you peace of mind because there are just less choices to be made, but you still have a choice, yeah. right? You still have some choice. It's just not so much choice that you're paralyzed by it. Right. And, um, you know, essentially too, I, th- I think in your book, one of the things that I recognizes is you you tell me and you've spoken about is that it takes up your time so Mm -hmm. especially when I'm talking about women and their health you know I see a lot of women midlife and at menopause and at that time they're probably still taking care of their kids they're still working they're busy they're also you know as we mentioned the the 
I don't want to say owners of their home, they're but they're like the of, life administrator of, of the their home. home, right? Yeah. And they're trying to now take medications and maybe they've developed some chronic diseases. They're also trying to exercise. And then they have all this stuff and just mm-hmm. taking up that time. You know, how much time do you, do you, when, when someone go, you know, transitions, gets rid of their stuff and really becomes more of a minimalist, how much time, you know, does that, really give them and how much does that affect their health? I think that is probably one of the biggest benefits for women. I know for me, that was the motivation was I wanted my time. I wanted some free time. And when you are taking care of tons and tons of physical objects, just think every single object you own takes a little bit of your time, right? Every pair of shoes you own, you have to store. You might need to dust them off. You need to move them to get to other things. Like every pair of shoes you own. You have to spend time finding them when you want to (laughs) wear that specific pair that maybe is over in the garage, like over the thing that you stored because you only wear them once a year, (laughs) right? Exactly. So all of our things take up our time. So when you simplify the amount of things, you have a lot more time back. I know cleaning the house, right? I used to think that cleaning the house took a long time. So if it was a weekend and somebody was coming to visit, I think, oh my gosh, we got to clean the house. And I'd be like, one to two hours. Right. I would think, you know, several hours, but you know what we did for probably the first, you know, hour and a half or two hours, just put stuff away, just put things in their homes. When you get to the actual point of cleaning, cleaning is not hard. Like an empty, you know, tabletop, spray and wipe it down, not hard. A clear floor, you vacuum it, not hard. But when there's tons of stuff on those surfaces that you have to find homes for before you can even get to the act of cleaning, yeah, that's where it takes up a lot of your time. So once you do the serious decluttering, realize that when it comes time to clean, you're literally just cleaning. And cleaning just by itself is really not that hard. It's decluttering constantly and reorganizing constantly that's hard and takes up a lot of time. It has to be so mentally fatiguing. I and mean, there's mm-hmm. there can't be anyone listening who disagrees that the cleaning and the organizi- organizing is just so mentally exhausting. And every time you you know, see something you don't really wear, you feel the guilt, but you still take the time to like organize it and find its spot. I mean, and I think you wrote in the book about just the time it takes people to find something that is stored away, you know, all of those things just rob us of like living a fuller and happy and less stress inducing life. Did I just like summarize yeah, everything? You did. Like, I'm you so did. you can tell I'm so like excited. You summarized I, it very, very well. You know, I had a student in one of my online courses and she talked about this exact same thing that she didn't really realize how much time she was getting back until she could leave the house in the morning without having to spend ten to fifteen minutes looking for her keys and her phone and her shoes and her jacket. When suddenly those things, because she'd been living that way for so long that she actually expected to have 20 to 30 minutes of frantic searching for things before she could leave the house every day. And once she simplified, she minimized, she decluttered, it was really easy to find those things. And she said, because it was one day she actually did lose something and she had to spend time looking for it. And she's like, this is so annoying. And then she said, this is how I used to live every single day. So it just shows you that... When you simplify, when you minimize, one of the biggest things that you get back is your time. And when we think about the things in life that are precious to us, nothing is more precious than Than our our time, time. right? That's what we're all trying to get more of. We want more time to do the things that we want to do, to spend time with our families, to enjoy hobbies and things we want to do. 
I don't think any of us want to spend our lives looking for keys and looking for our cell phone and trying to find the matching shoe. And when your home is full of too much stuff, that's what you're spending a lot of your time doing usually. Yeah, I remember one of the first things after I read your book, I actually took your first tip, which was to have one towel, no, two towels per person. Two towels, yeah. Two towels per person. And I realized how many towels we had in our house. Mm. And not only how many towels, but like how old they were. Like (laughs) you can go to Marshalls and get towels for like, $5.99 Five ninety nine a towel. Like they're also not an expensive item, right. but they're just something that you collect and you collect, and they take up all the space, and you have to launder them. And like it was just crazy. So I remember getting rid of some of the towels, and just like one simple step for me was so freeing. And then also things like sheets. Why do I need like five pairs of sheets? I really sleep in one, and then when those are clean, I just have another one. Right. And it was great. Like I totally promoting your book because I was like because it just made amazing sense and even just for me implementing just some of the smaller things really made this huge difference so when I changed my daughter's bed and from a toddler bed to a full-size bed she's got two pairs of sheets nice. two's okay right yeah two's yeah. okay and I, I do like to clarify that I don't like to prescribe a certain number of things that people should own or throw away because I think minimalism is a very personal thing and so for you and for me I guess mm-hmm. two towels per person for me at my house is the perfect amount but some people they cannot wrap their heads around that because they like a fresh, clean towel every day. That is a big part of their life and their way of living. So if that's you, you should have seven towels per person. So you can have a different one every day. If you, if that's too many, you can have less. But I think what it comes down to is just asking yourself, how much do I need? Yeah. Right. And that answer is going to change based on who you are. So for you with sheets, Two sets of sheets per bed is great, but if you had someone in your house who was potty training or something else was going on where people got sick a lot or something, two sets of sheets per bed may not be enough. Or if you're like, you know what, one set of sheets per bed and then I just wash them and put them back on so I don't have to fold them, one set of sheets per bed could be enough, right? So it's really up to the individual, the amount of stuff that works for them. But I think when it gets to that point where you know this is the right amount, it just kind of clicks and you just kind of know, like you can feel it. I like how that's nice, how you, um, you know, I sort of jive with that too, that not everyone, not one size fits all. And so it's really about what's going to be best for the individual person or family, um, as we kind of talked about. And so that's really a great point, because the same thing could be said with so many household items, right? Dishes, toilet yeah. paper, um, food in the house, etc. And, you know, I come from a house where I would say my mom has lots of stuff Mm -hmm. um and as uh growing up in that environment actually made me want to have less stuff because Mm -hmm. i it made me anxious um but i still feel like i still have too much stuff um and so i like how you kind of pointed out it's what feels best for each person um as to what is kind of some people live in tiny houses some people live in you know very large houses um So, you know, you must do a lot of psychology work. (laughs) There is a fair amount of psychology work that goes into it, I guess. And I I don't have any degrees in any of that. But I think what I do when I'm working with people is I'm trying to figure out what's the amount that feels right to them. And then realize that that number or that amount can change 
as the person changes. So maybe the first time you go through your kitchen, you think, okay, we need at least a dozen coffee cups, right? We need a dozen. Like you can't imagine having less than that. So you keep a dozen. And then, you know, maybe a, a year or two later, you're like, you know, I really, I only use these four. These are my favorite four. And I don't ever have the occasion to use all the rest of them. So maybe at that point you let go of the other eight. I realize that as you learn to live with less, sometimes what happens is that you can learn to live with even less than you'd originally thought. Sort of like peeling the layers back on an onion, right? A lot of times people make a first pass through their house and then they make consecutive passes. I know for me with my clothing, that was how it went. I really defined myself a lot by my clothing. I defined myself as a deal shopper. I loved to go shopping. It was my favorite thing to do. I had lots of clothes, lots of shoes, different colors. If I liked a shirt, I bought it in four colors. I was that kind of person. And so for me, I knew that I just couldn't go through and slash and burn my clothes all at once. So I slowly let them go over the years. I would declutter a little more. I would declutter a little more until now what I have, I work with what, what they call in the minimalism world a capsule wardrobe, which is a seasonal wardrobe of about 20 to 40 pieces that you rotate with the seasons. But there is no way when I started that I could have gone to that. It would have been, it would have been way too much. I would have said, no way, there's no way I can do this. And it would have felt really unsafe to me. Uh-huh. So I think it's good for people to realize too that you start the process and then you may be surprised at where you end up. That's such great advice. What advice do you have for people who might be moving or who are experiencing new seasons in their life or transitions in their life? So moving, you know, strikes a personal note, but that, you know, signifies a transition. Maybe children leave for college. That's a big transition. I'm sure this could take up several podcasts. (laughs) But, you know, as those big transitions, I'm going to sort of you know, guess that that's maybe, well, I don't know. I guess the guess is that might be a good time to Mm -hmm. do it. Might also be a vulnerable time for people. So I I bet there's no right answer. But what do you think about making changes in those transition periods? Well, I think transition periods are generally when people feel the need to make these types of changes, moving especially. So I say, you know, moving, new baby, you know, you have a new baby or maybe an elderly relative moves in with you or a child leaves for college. All of these transitional moments in our lives usually are the times when people undertake decluttering or undertake minimizing because I think there's something about physically changing the space, opening up new space that makes those transitions actually a little bit easier. So moving, for example, it's one of the only times in your life that you have to usually physically touch every object that you own. So it makes you assess things that you normally don't have to assess. Like you don't normally go down to your basement storage and just check it out, you know, on a Saturday afternoon. It's just (laughs) down there, right? Right, and you don't also have to like pay for it to be there. Now you have to actually pay for this item. You're sort of like monetarily evaluating like, gee, is it worth the like 10 bucks to ship it somewhere? Exactly. And I think that's when we start to really see that our stuff costs us something. Yep. So in the, you know, in the example of moving, it's 
it's costing you actual money. But even if you're not moving, it's costing you something to have it there. It's costing your time. It could be costing your emotions. So another thing that I see is people keep things because of guilt. And so, well, grandma gave me these dishes, so I've got to keep them. And so when they look at those dishes, every single time they look at that box of dishes they're not using, they feel guilty. So it's costing them actual emotional wellness to keep it because they're adding negativity to their life. Yeah. So our what a role that must play in someone's physical and mental health. Yeah. 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 I mean, the number one thing that people tell me after going through this process is I feel so much better. Yeah. Right. The space yeah. usually looks better, but what they say is I feel so much better. And that kind of gets back to what we were talking to at the beginning that the, the point of all this is not to clean up your house and make your house look better. It's to make you feel better. And in times of transition, those are times where we feel more stress. You know, moving is stressful. Having a new baby is stressful. Getting a new job or getting a divorce. These things are stressful. And so decluttering is actually a way to reduce the stress in a really stressful transitional time in your life. I How long do you, um, when clients reach out to you, what is a typical protocol for you for, you know, getting a new client? What do you do? Well, when people reach out to me, it kind of depends if they're in my local Dayton area or not. If they're in my local Dayton area, we usually set a time for me to go over and we do kind of an assessment. Um, maybe for an hour or two hours, we talk through the space, we walk through the space, we make a list of things that need to be done to get it the way that they want it. And then after that, it's sort of we move forward with sessions that are longer. So to really tackle a space for most people. So if you are going to declutter an entire walk-in closet or an entire kitchen or an entire storage room, and you're going to do it all at once, you're going to need at least three hours, probably four hours. So we schedule a session of about that amount of time. And then I show up and we do it. We do as much as is humanly possible in that time. And what's interesting though, is people always ask me, well, how long will this take? And my answer is, that depends on how quickly you can make decisions. The speed at which you can make decisions is the speed at which we can move. Because what you're doing is you're doing delayed decision making. The stuff has been put here because you didn't want to ever make the decision. You didn't want to make a decision on it or it wasn't the right time to make a decision on it. And when I show up, if we're going to evaluate it, it's decision making time. So some people, what's interesting, um, pregnant women are the fastest decision makers. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. When I work with pregnant women, I once decluttered an entire basement, a huge basement in three and a half hours with a woman who was eight months pregnant. I mean, because she would just look at a whole box and be like, nope, gone, trash, no, gone. I mean, because she was expecting a baby and she was ready to slash and burn. Other people, three and a half hours might take, you know, we might go through three boxes because they need to look at everything. There's yeah. Think about where it came from. Who gave exactly. this to there's me? There's so much. There's so much. It's yeah. just all mental. There's so much mm-hmm. emotions behind the stuff. It's not about the stuff. So it's yeah. like, oh, you know, yeah, I can absolutely. Yeah. And when you're pregnant, I'm just yeah. thinking of my own, right? You're kind of thinking about someone else for a minute and you want that place for them. Yeah. to be situated and organized and you don't want all the dust and so you're really ready to slash and burn. Right. But then when your kids go away to college and you have all their stuff, yes. how long does that decision-making process take? Yeah, so that's a time where people, it's 
emotional in a sentimental, bittersweet kind of way a lot of times. And so if someone is going through the things that are left by adult children who have left the house, those might be a little bit slower decisions, right? Because you're dealing with physical things, but you're also dealing with a lot of memories and a lot of emotions that are attached to those things. And I think since this is an emotional process, you have to give space for those emotions. I learned this lesson when I worked with a client who was doing that. Her kids were all gone and we were going through her her upstairs. And in my mind, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, we got to get our money's worth out of this. You know, I'm trying to get her to go faster and faster. And the next time I came back, she said, I just want you to know that after you left, I went through the trash bags and I took things out because it just, I need more time to think about everything. I can't move too quickly. And I said, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I apologize that, that I, I was pushing you to move more quickly because what I learned from that was everybody needs the amount of time they need to be able to let go of the thing. If they need a moment to look at it and think about it, they need that moment. One of my very first clients was a little girl. She was eight years old. Her mom hired me to work with her. And uh, we were going through her stuffed animals. And every single stuffed animal, (laughs) she would pick it up. She would hold it for a moment and squeeze it. And then she would talk about who gave it to her, where she got it. And she would tell me the story of it. And then she'd say, I can let it go. Or she'd say, I have to keep him, right? So she was modeling that moment of thinking about and honoring the thing before making the decision. And so I didn't learn the lesson because she was early on. I didn't learn the lesson when I worked with her. But now Mm. I've reflected on it. I'm like, oh, yeah, she was giving every single thing the time and the emotional space it needed. Yeah. Yeah. What is your advice for, you know, women in in midlife who maybe have three – three rooms, three bedrooms full of their children's things. What is your kind of just generalized advice for for that process? So I've worked with a lot of people who have adult children out of the house. And one thing that sometimes stops them is they think, well, I this is my kid's stuff. I need to ask the kids. And I usually tell them, your home is not a rent-free storage unit for your adult children's belongings. And that is just a truth. If your adult children are gone... They probably took with them anything that they, they wanted. actually wanted, right? If they wanted it, it is with them. Yeah. These things that they have left, they have left because they kind of want you as the parent to take care of it. Like you have taken care of so many things for them throughout their life. They're like, oh, mom will take care of this as well. It's perfectly fine to let them know what you're doing and give them a deadline of, okay, by X date, I am calling the Salvation Army pickup. So if you would like any of these things, you need to come by X date (laughs) and get them and actually schedule the pickup. Make good on what you're saying you're going to do Mm -hmm. because they will, as children do, they're like, oh, I'll get to it. I'll do it, mom. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it, right? They're no different now that they're 30, right? They're hoping that you'll just forget about it or you'll just take care of it and they won't have to make the decision. decision. Yeah, so, yep, yep, yep. They don't want to make the decision. So you give them a deadline and if, they come get it, they come get it. And if they don't, you let it go to someone else so it can be useful and you can have that room to do with what you want. Yeah. So these are obviously the women who have, are ready, right? And they're yeah. running to get rid of the, move the things. Um, and then there's um, a, a very, for people who know me personally, um, my mother-in-law came over with all of my husband's stuff mm-hmm. and all of his uh, comic book collection and just like 
So it yes. became mine. Yes. My oh, stuff. congratulations. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's, that's, a, that's another tactic I guess you could use. Yeah. So there is <laughs> the whole, if- yeah, dropping things off at the adult children's home. So that is something that I see quite often. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. I mean, if those were his things and he left them at his parents' house and the parents don't want them, they can give them to him as a grown-up. And in that case, it's perfectly fine for him to let them go at that point in time if he does not want them. I mean, I don't think that parents should feel like they need to keep things for their children. I mean, one of the things that I tell people in, in terms of memorabilia, which is kind of what comic books are, is that the only person you should save memorabilia for is you. Yeah. Meaning you should not be keeping things because somebody else gave it to you and it was their memories. Like great aunt Sally gave you her dishes that she really loved and she had a lot of memories with. So she gave them to you. But if those dishes don't really spark any memory in you, you're not obligated to keep them for her. Likewise, you're not obligated to keep memories for future generations. You're, you're not obligated to keep things for your children, for your grandchildren. Keep it for you. If those comic books matter to you, keep them. If they don't, let them go. They matter more to my husband than to oh. me. So, you know... The comic books are alive and well then, I'm, ge- I'm gathering from this. Yeah, we have yeah. made a a uh, group decision that in our new home he gets a room and I'm just going and it's his private room and you know just kind of like you said it has to be a personal mission and I can't say I'm going to be a minimalism and that's going to go for your hobbies right that's just not going to work in a nice marriage so I I don't know what tips you have for married couples in terms of the t-shirts the college stuff the sports stuff I'm sure you get that question a lot I get that question a lot so when it comes to other people's stuff like I said you deal with your own stuff yeah when it's other people's stuff I think as long as their stuff does not interfere with you living your life the way you need to live it you sort of create a respectful container for it. So that's what I'm gonna. That's what that's you're doing. That's the only thing that I could come up with. Yeah, yeah. My husband has a man cave in the basement. Yeah, it has video games, mismatched furniture, Star Wars toys, antlers. There's, is there a box in the room where you put his trinkets, or uh, is there? Do you just not no, go there? If there's anything of his, <laughs> yeah, he actually has a box in the main area of the room where I put his trinkets. The main area of the house. Um, but yeah, he has that man cave and that's kind of his space and I don't mess with it. I don't clean it up. I don't nag him about it. Now, every once in a while, I'll be like, Josh, we're having let's, people let's over. So can you please clean up the cave? Do a quick inventory of what's going yes. on down in the cave. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't bother me because it's in the cave. And then in the attic, he has a corner that has Star Wars toys, baseball cards. There are probably comic books up there. It's stuff that I don't even really know what it is. About once a year, I will ask him, do you want to go through this stuff? Nope, I'm good. Okay. okay. It doesn't interfere with, with me your life. living my life. Now, okay. if those comic books and those baseball cards were on the dining room table where I need to make dinner, then we'd have a problem because then it's preventing me from living my life the way I want to. But as long as it's put in a way that doesn't interfere with my life, I mean, I care about my husband and I love him more than I care about that stuff yeah. in the attic. Yeah. So if someone's not in the Dayton area, what can they do to, to if they're listening to this in, in, in another state, if we're not in Ohio, what can they do? So you can go online to my website, which is roselounsbury.com, and that's R-O-S-E-L-O-U-N-S-B-U-R-Y. 
com, and you can sign up for one of my online courses. I have an online course called The Less Method, which details my four-step less method to decluttering any space, and there's an on-demand version of that course, which you can purchase at any time, and you can take it, and you can learn how to do this. I also have a live version where I teach it live, mm -hmm. I'm doing air quotes here, mm -hmm. on the internet, and I do that twice a year. So I do that in the fall, once in the fall and once in the spring. So you can get on a mailing list to be the first to know about that if you want to take the live version of the course. I also have some free resources on there. So I have a minimalism starter guide, which is a really great tool. It's a PDF that people can download and it teaches you how to go through your home and make your own personalized checklist of where you need to start. Because I think the thing that people get overwhelmed by is they don't know how to begin doing this. And the answer to that is, well, really, everybody should kind of begin at a different place. Where I should start is not necessarily the same place you should start. So I have them do a little inventory and answer some questions to get them to make their own checklist of spaces. And they make their own checklist and then they can get going. And that's totally free. So you can find that on my website as well. If you are on Facebook, I have a free Facebook community. It's called Minimalism is Fun. I'm joining. Oh, yeah. you, should, you totally, totally should. You totally I'm, should. I'm just jazzed over everything you say. Well, I am excited. Really? Yes, join us because um, we do some challenges, some free challenges. People post before and after pictures. I do questions of the week and little mini challenges every week. So it's a really active Facebook group. And I think that community and support is, you know, whether it's, you know, I, I have um, one too. And it's it's just it's just, just knowing that, you know, you're doing this as a team, with the, as a community. And it's it's solidifying. It's validating. It's fun. Yes. You know, because a lot yeah. of times we think of, oh, my gosh, cleaning out the basement. Not, not fun. fun. Right. But if you post it in a group and say, hey, guys clean in the basement this weekend, people will respond like, yes, go get it. Awesome. I can't wait to see. Yeah. And then you not only feel a little bit accountable to them because yeah. you put the picture, but yeah. you're also being cheered on. You're being supported. And so that yeah. does make it fun. That's accountability and being and accountability, having support and sometimes paying for something. I think our, I always tell my patients the three things really, if it's weight loss, if it's, you know, cleaning, it, it, it just makes you, it, it just, it, it, it makes you more successful, I yes. think. So, and, and what's your Facebook page? Um, it's Rose Lounsbury. Okay. So if you look for name. Rose Lounsbury, you'll find me on Facebook. And one yeah. other thing I forgot to mention, I do offer one-on-one -on -one coaching online as well. So I have clients who have coached on you know different coasts of the U.S. Yeah. If you want to meet me on Zoom calls and have me help you develop a personalized plan and coach you through that. You can contact me about personalized coaching no matter where you live, and we'll, we will do it through Zoom. I am so, so we, just to wrap up, you know, I'm thrilled to have spent this hour chatting with you, learning from you. It's so exciting. I can tell you're so passionate, and I can tell your educational background, like, you know, you can have this lens of really having this well-organized, thoughtful, individualized flow to keep people really like energized, motivated, and excited. And I just think about how much this would really improve mental clarity, you know, health and wellness, and then just the physical body, how much stress that that toll that it plays mm -hmm. on 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 our bodies and you know I see only women and so I I see it day in and day out. I think we just talked about so much just juicy stuff. You guys have to get her book. If you don't have it, I'm going to put links below to my podcast. It's so great. It's easy to read and it's just 
you know, even if you're not even thinking about it, but you're curious, it's so enlightening. So I'm just thrilled to have had the chance to have talked to you today. Any last kind of last minute things you want to say or, you know, just store you're ready to get back in the car? Yeah, well, I would just tell people that a lot of times when you think about doing this, it feels overwhelming. And just like anything, if you wanted to climb a mountain, but you sat at the bottom of the mountain and you looked at the top and just worried and felt overwhelmed about how far it was from the top, you'll just stay there. But if you take one small step and another small step, you will slowly start to get there. So my encouragement to people is there is no step that is too small. You could clean out one drawer, you could declutter one t-shirt, and every little bit counts and every little bit's going to get you closer to where you want to go. I love it. Thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it so much. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening in and see you soon. Bye.